0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Well, this is message number six in the Sermon on the Mount, and it might be uh, six of 40, who knows. Um, This is very important stuff, and we are covering one beatitude at a time. These are the virtues Jesus asked us to become, and uh, these are the ones he exhibited himself. We looked at the first four. Michael led us through the fourth one last week. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Um, Tonight we will be in the fifth. So we now come to, if you might remember that um, the first week I had the ladder up here. Because the Beatitudes work like a ladder. They're progressive in that you, we need the first ones in order to become the other ones. And remember, these aren't just things that we do. These are these are qualities, better, virtues that we become. And, um, and Jesus calls them blessed, not because we do something. We do these good things and then he blesses us. It's a different Greek word, makarios, which describes, it's the word used in Psalm 1. Blesses the man who does not sin and meditates on the word of the Lord becomes like that flourishing tree. It's it's a phrase that makes us think of the thriving in the garden of Eden. Jesus is inviting us into what he properly sees as the good life, what the kingdom of heaven looks like when we are living it now. And so these aren't just, we do these good works and God blesses us. It's that we grow into these kinds of creatures as described in the Beatitudes. And in this growth, we find a blessing life. We find that this is the way God meant us to live and to function. So he's inviting us. This is how he begins his, his big sermon, the first sermon in Matthew. He begins it by inviting us into the life we've been missing because of sin. And so we, we begin with poor in spirit. Because we have nothing to give God. We are completely in debt to him. We receive all from him. We begin at the lowest possible place of poverty because only there can the devil never reach us. Jesus goes all the way down. The devil only knows how to climb. So we go down and meet him in the humility. And then in meeting and we mourn over our sins. And then we become meek, which is that determined decision to relinquish ourselves to God's purposes, whatever they may be, no matter how difficult. It's, remember, that no longer striving for things, but it's about allowing God um, to work in and through us. And so then that gives way to the fourth beatitude, hungering for righteousness. So these first four deal with our inner disposition, especially before god and if we go through the first three you will hunger you will find that you have great need for righteousness because you've been through these first three humble steps and now we hunger for him and so what we come to tonight the fifth beatitude uh, we come to the second half of the beatitude so we're now in the upper escalon of these virtues and what we begin to see is that these virtues now begin to take on a quality that because our inner disposition and posture before God is in its proper place, now the virtues begin shining forth and they begin affecting people around us. So we see that transition tonight. So, Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive Mercy. You go on a trip to Arizona tomorrow morning. I may or may not be doing that. And you speed on that 10 freeway 125 miles an hour. You want to get there. Kids got to go to the bathroom. You're hungry. You're not stopping. Have you seen gas? Have you seen food prices? Like, you're just going to go. And then you see the tra- the, uh, the police officer's lights in your rear mirror, Right? And you're kind of going a little fast. And so you actually are called to appear in court. And so a couple weeks go by and you appear in court. And the judge looks at you and says, whew, it's a pretty big offense. I'm going to give you the full ticket that you deserve to pay. You're going to go to driving school. And he just gives you everything you deserve. So sometimes that's called justice. You get what you deserve. But maybe in another universe, you're standing for that judge, and he's looking all of, at all that, and he's like, oh, man, you like to go fast. Let's just forget about it and actually let me give to you a Ferrari. And I will actually sanction that the road is free for you to fly at 180 if you want certain times of the month. Now, that's obviously ridiculous, but that is the way some people define grace, is that it's when the judge gives us more than we deserve. And then there's a third scenario. You're standing before that judge, and that judge looks at you and says, ooh, this is bad, but here's what I'm going to do. We're going to throw the ticket out. I'm going to have you take one two-hour online course of driver's ed, and we're going to pretend this never happened. Some people say that that's what you call Mercy. So pretty clear, yeah. Justice is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, good stuff that you don't deserve, and mercy is the withholding of what you really deserve, holding it back. So that in that picture the judge is merciful. He is going to lighten the sentence. He's going to reduce what you deserve, and then you you're sitting there before the judge, you you, you release this huge sigh of relief. I'm so glad he's merciful. I barely escaped that one. Uh, Okay, so. I know that that's a very popular way for us to talk about grace and mercy. The only problem is is that this is not the way they use these words in the Bible. They didn't stand before democratic judges like we do today. So we're in, we are imposing current thoughts of how we use words into Jesus' mouth if we think of mercy in that way. So we're going to completely start over and say, no, mercy is not a big shield defending us from the wrath of an angry judge. That's not what mercy is. And this is actually very helpful and liberating because here's what, bless you, here's what I discovered as I look at prayers in ancient prayer books. Do you know what you find over and over and over? And then you start noticing it's actually all over in the Bible. Just didn't really notice as much. Do you know what prayer you find over and over and over again? Lord have mercy. In some traditions, they are prescribed to say, Lord have mercy, 12 times after the Lord's Prayer. 12 times row, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Two more times of that. Um, Now, with the lens that I grew up with, mercy is... God withholding all this judgment that I deserve it sure makes me feel pretty cringe in prayer Lord have mercy like I'm super insecure Lord have mercy every time I utter prayers like but be merciful Lord um and sometimes we pray that here before we pray our intercessions we say Lord have mercy Christ have mercy what are we saying oh Lord remember all these people that you sh- you're probably gonna squash but no we're asking that you have mercy on them this is not at all what we're praying so we need to revisit this beatitude, what does it mean to be merciful and to receive mercy? I want to show you guys, just for an example, what mercy actually looks like in the Bible. A very different concept. Uh, if you will, if you want to, you can hold your place if you're good. But we're going to stay in Matthew, because it's really good to see the consistency of Matthew's use of mercy. Uh, chapter 9, verse 27. Chapter 9, verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. What are they asking for? Well, I don't think that they're blind men crawling around, fearful that God's going to bring a hammer down on them, and they're like, there's Jesus, let's ask for mercy. Read the context. Two blind men are saying, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. Lord, have mercy. He didn't say, Okay, cool. Come under me, and I'm going to shelter you from the blow. They said, Lord, have mercy. And he said, Okay. And he opens their eyes. What were they asking for? They're asking for healing. Um, there's another instance of this in Matthew 20, verse 30. Um, you can jot it down, but it's very much the exact same. It's before Jesus rides on the triumphal ent- on the donkey on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and there are the blind men sitting there by the roadside, and what do they cry out to him? They cry out to him, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. What does he do? He opens their eyes. Again, healing. Okay, now you can go to Matthew fifteen, verse twenty-two, see a slightly different context. Matthew fifteen twenty-two, the enigmatic passage of the Canaanite woman, or the Syrophoenician in some translations. Um, she's from Canaan, so that's why yeah, she's an outsider. And so we see in Matthew fifteen twenty-one, Jesus went away from there, the 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 domain of Israel. And withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. What's she asking for? My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, as the story goes on, Jesus then assures her, Okay, I have done what you've asked. There's no more demon in your child. So what did have mercy mean? She was asking, heal my daughter. Free her from this demonic oppression. Uh, and then Matthew 17, verse 15. Well, we'll start in verse 14. 17, 14. Jesus comes down from the mount where he was transfigured before his disciples. And it says, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. Why? because the plague is about to come and destroy him and you need to block him from the wrath of God. No. Have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly, for he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Um, and we know uh, from, uh, there we go, in verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed Instantly. So again, another example, like the Canaanite woman, of, of, a, of a demon situation. And the father, the intercessor for this person of need, is asking for mercy. And the, the plea for mercy is help this person in their need. So sometimes, like the blind man, ha- asking God for mercy is to come and help my need. And then sometimes in the other two instances, it's praying on behalf of another, help their need. Mercy is shorthand for Lord, see the misery, see the problem, see the need, and come and alleviate it. Come and heal it. That's how we see mercy used in the Bible. So, here it is. Here's how I think of it. If Addie was here, he'd say, That's a heart. He loves hearts. He draws little hearts on everything he draws. So cute. Mercy, this is the short of it, but we're going to go into it and unfold it a little bit more. Mercy has been defined as, as a sad heart. Mercy is drawn to misery That's what mercy is. It's, it's, it's this virtue, and it is a virtue of God. It is part of his nature. It is a virtue that is drawn to misery. If there is a miserable person or a miserable situation, then the merciful is drawn to that. They, they have a heart for that, which is why it's been called a sad heart. Here's, here's the quote. It's from a, a missionary in the fifth century who went to France and converted a bunch of the French in the nation of France. Of course, it wasn't called France then. It was called lions or something. But anyways, uh, it's St. It's Remigius, and he said this. He said, the merciful is he who has a sad heart. He counts others' misery as his own. Why does he have a sad heart? He counts the misery of others as his own and is sad at their grief as at his own. I feel your grief and your grief is my grief. That's what he means by mercy is a sad heart. And I say mercy is drawn to misery. Um, So that's the big idea, okay? I want to show you now four ways that we see mercy used and this is actually very surprising it says a huge word by the way in ancient christianity we kind of i think because we kind of lost the vision for mercy and it's more like makes us cringe we don't love this word like it is in the bible um it's an amazing and astonishing word so here's how we're going to do this i'm going to unfold the way mercy's used some more throughout matthew um and then uh And then just in our big theological system, like where do we see mercy and action in Jesus? So here's what we're going to do. So go to Matthew chapter six was, you know, right there by the beatitude. Matthew six, verse two. Matthew six, verse two. Uh, I'm not ready yet. Okay. Actually, will somebody just read it for me? Two through four, two through four, nice and loud. Therefore, when thou dost thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory again. Verily, I to you, they have their reward. But when thou dost alms, let not thy left hand know thy right hand, do, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret, himself shall reward thee. Again. Okay. We miss this because we don't have the Greek language in front of us. But if you did, you would notice that in verse 2, and we read the whole thing because it gives us the whole picture, verse 2 has the word mercy in it. Thus, when you give to the needy, it's a phrase represented by a Greek word, and elos, it's E-L-O-S, it's the Greek word for mercy, it is within the word for giving to the needy. So uh, as actually appropriately, Emily read from the King James, I was going to say, that's almsgiving is an old word for giving to the needy. And that was right in what she read. Almsgiving was one of the ways that mercy was described. How can you be drawn to misery? What happens when you're drawn to misery? You try to heal it. You try to alleviate it with all the means that you have. And so one of the very common ways through the history of the world, especially when the church was birthed, was what we saw instantly, a people who didn't count their stuff their own, but were willing to give it to alleviate the misery of the people around them. That giving is an act of mercy. Just as Jesus was merciful toward the blind and the demon possessed. So that's one way we see mercy, even right here in the sermon. Um, if we go to Matthew 18, Matthew 18, verse 21, it's a well, it's a it's a story I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, Matthew 18 verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and said, "Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him?" I have no special revelation there. The word mercy is not in the word forgive. But watch. "How long will I must I forgive him? As many as 7 times?" And Jesus said to him, "I do not say to you 7 times, but 70 times 7." Seven, a lot. Then he tells this parable in verse 23 about, and to just consolidate it briefly, the, the servant of a Lord who fell into debt, and he could not pay it, and he's supposed to be thrown into prison. He says, but uh, give me time, and uh, this, the, the, the Lord just forgives him his debt. Okay, so that's the cool thing. Like, we see the Lord just forgiving the servant's debt, but then the servant goes out, somebody else owes him money, and he does not forgive his debt, and he throws this guy into prison. It's a bit major... Inconsistency here, right? So here's how Jesus phrases the application point for us. Um, Verse 32. So then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So then Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What's connected here? Put the dots together. Jesus has said forgiving our brother is showing mercy to our brother. He calls it mercy in the story and then he says so you also must show mercy by forgiving your brother. So, mercy is also, I do this in class too. I never know where I put my pen. Okay, it's forgiveness. Okay. And that brings us to, it's in the back pocket, don't forget. Um, that brings us to now, so those are two ways we see in Matthew. We've, uh, we've seen, we see almsgiving, we see forgiving. But um, as we look at this and we think of, Mercy is being drawn to misery. Uh, Another way to put it is beautifully put by someone else is it's stooping low to alleviate suffering. Stooping low to alleviate suffering, which is why I wrote it the way I did. Mercy is a downward movement where misery is to help bring relief, healing, help, aid. So where do we see this in the Bible in the big story? Jesus in the incarnation. He takes on our flesh and he stoops very low to alleviate us from our misery. This is mercy. You could say the whole story of the Bible is, but God had mercy. It is a big, big, beautiful word in scripture. If you want to see it very clearly, Ephesians chapter 2. Also very well known. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that we were really lost and dead in our sin. And nothing was going for us. We were basically puppets. Strings being pulled by the devil. or Another image is we were pulling the devil's cart. and He was dangling the carrot in front of us and we could never get it. Um, That was our situation. But in Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God. He saw how miserable we are. And his heart went there. But God, being rich in mercy, what causes God to come down to us and deliver us from the devil's trap, from his enslavement, and from our sin? His rich mercy. His mercy is rich because while I stoop only so low to another human being, it's not that far of a drop, to be honest. God goes. From divinity to humanity, he takes on another nature to stoop and help us. This is what mercy looks like in the biggest possible picture. Uh, Titus, by the way, Titus 3, verse 4 through 5. 3, 4, 5. Huh? Titus 3, 4, and 5 also uses mercy in the same context. That it was what brought God down to us, was his mercy. For us, he was drawn to our miserable plight in sin, death, and the devil. And so, um, as we bring all this together, oh, yeah, the incarnation is number three. And number four, I would say the simplest, and we've already looked at it mercy is healing. And you've already seen the examples of healing. But our salvation is healing. He came down in his rich mercy to heal our hearts, blackened, tarnished, reduced, minimized, disfigured, to heal these hearts, to make them once again in the likeness of God. This is mercy. Now, one other thing that we don't have the privilege of seeing because we are not a Greek speaking people, we're not in the language that those, of the world where these terms were developed in, is that we forget that there actually is a very important connection between the word mercy and the act of healing. And it goes like this. So if you want to say, Lord, have mercy, like on me or on someone, it's Kyrie eleison. That's the Greek. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. So, uh, mercy is Eli's Now there's another, there's a story in Luke chapter 10, where there was a Jew going to Jerusalem and he was beat up by robbers and left for dead. And a priest comes by and walks around him. A Levite comes by and walks around him. And then another Israelite comes. Oh no, wait, no, it wasn't an Israelite. It was a Samaritan. It was actually the way people expect to hear the story because there were triads in the Jewish culture of which priest, Levite, and Israelite was considered... You expected an Israelite to follow those two, and Jesus gives the big punch, the the, uh, punchline of the story when he says, Samaritan, and they're like, wait, what? And what does the Samaritan do? He takes this guy on his donkey, brings him to the inn, pays for his needs, and one of the specific things it says is that he rubs oil into his wounds the greek word for oil is eleon so if you're speaking greek and you hear eleison have mercy you, wait that sounds like what happens when you put oil in someone's wounds oil is commonly used for wounds it was one of its major purposes uh, you you know, like in Psalm 23, like one of the blessings is that oil is put over my head. It was it was for like um, lotion, which we could all use at certain times in the year, especially now maybe. And um, obviously for cooking, but also for healing. It was a very valuable thing. And so eleon and eleison, well, the the word association brought an imagery as well. To have mercy is to rub oil into the wounds of your fellow human being. And so when we pray for mercy, this is what God does. We're asking him to come and bring his healing where we need it. When we give mercy, we are going to someone's wounds and we're rubbing oil where they need healing. That is what mercy looks like in the Bible. So Jesus tells us to be merciful for we shall be. Receive mercy. I think that this is one of the phrases along with forgive others if you want to be forgiven. Notice the the structure of the commands are very similar. Um, It's kind of like our what came first, the chicken or the egg situation. Do I have to do something to get something from God? How can I be merciful if I don't even know what mercy is? Well, exactly. That's a good question. You can't. It's sort of that, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? It's sort of both. Do you be merciful or do you receive mercy? Yeah, right, yes, uh uh-huh, both. So as we receive mercy from the Lord, we experience what that's like, and we are expected to give that mercy back to others. One of the reasons we pray, and it's throughout the Psalms, Lord have mercy, is because we need to know what it feels like to be healed in our misery so that we can then, as healed beings, go and heal others in their misery. We receive an overwhelming amount of God's rich mercy so that we can in a form of almsgiving, give this mercy to people in whatever form that God has equipped us and gifted us to do. We give the mercy he gives to us. So we need oil if we're to give oil to other people. If we are to heal, we must have healing. If we're to be merciful, we must receive mercy. And if we receive mercy, we must be merciful. So there's this parable Also in Matthew, chapter 25, which I think summarizes why mercy is such a beautiful prayer. I mean, honestly, if you don't know what to pray for someone, just pray that God has mercy on them. I mean, you're covering everything with that prayer. Keep praying through the day, Lord, have mercy on me. Why? Because we are like lampstands that constantly need a drip of oil to keep burning. Remember in the tabernacle in the temple, um, we are told that the priests were to every evening and every morning go in and trim the lanterns. Which didn't just mean take the wick and like cut it just right. That's not what that meant. It meant make sure that the lanterns had in their basins enough oil to keep the flame going all the way till sunrise. And then at sunrise, make sure the basin had enough oil to keep the flames lit until sundown. And at sundown, check, you get it? You keep the flame going by constantly replenishing the supply of oil. So back in Bible times, you had these really old... This is going to be absolutely hilarious and terrible. My students will always loved this when I did this. <laughs> so there's like a little handle. Okay, this, was, this is what a lampstand looked like in the New Testament times. A little clay vessel with a bowl and a little spout on the end and a handle. And, and the bowl was for carrying oil. And coming out of the spout was like a little, a little wick, a little piece of flax or something. And it would burn because it would absorb the oil and it would keep burning. Now, what would happen though is if you didn't keep checking your lampstand, it could run out of oil and the flame would go out. So what you had to do is you had to continually replenish the lamp stand with oil, or the lamp itself with oil, or it would stop burning. I actually want to do this. I want to buy one of these and you can buy these because I've been told through a book that if you do this practice, you will understand the need for mercy is because you will understand how much work these take to keep burning, that the constant attention to make sure the oil supply is still there. So with that in mind, we see Matthew 25, um, verse one, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who take their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And you know how this goes. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Because they all fall asleep. But the wise ones had extra oil so that they could keep the lamp going. And the foolish ones had to go to the market and buy oil. What is this saying? If we, if we take the connection of oil and mercy, we see that the foolish virgins had no mercy. The wise ones were supplied with mercy. And so when the bridegroom comes, they were ready. And um, the ones that had to go buy oil come back. He says, truly I say to you, I do not know you in verse 12. Verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. What does watch therefore mean in this context? It means keep the drip supply of oil constant that the flame doesn't go out so what do we do with that we pray for mercy we pray for mercy we pray for mercy and we keep on realizing our ever need for god's mercy in all things he will come alongside he will lift us he will heal us he will cure us oh how many times i need to be cured I, I, if I watched your thoughts, I'd probably say you're not cured enough. Like you need lots of oil because that machine is like grinding in sin right now. It's rusted and it's terrible. Um, we need a constant returning of ourselves to the Lord because we, if you see this, you understand now why the Beatitudes need to go in order? Because if you don't understand that you're poor in spirit and you don't mourn over your sin, you don't have a meek disposition, you don't understand this need for mercy, Praying, Lord, have mercy, is the culminating awareness of the first four beatitudes. That I am poor, that I mourn my sin, that I am meek and in need of God, and that I want righteousness. Saying, Lord, have mercy, says all of those things are true of me, and so I need your touch here. I need more oil. And every time we pray, it's like another drop of the Spirit's mercy coming into our hearts and keeping our flame alive. What we have to understand, we have to go back to this court scene and remember, we have to unlearn some things, that sin is not an infraction, well, it is an infraction against God's laws, but it's not primarily dealt with in the Bible as an infraction. Oh, you bad dude, you broke the commandment. And so God's like, "I I see that, but I'll have mercy. Sin is not primarily an infraction against God's word. It is an infection of disease, of the devil's will, of our disfiguring ourselves from the likeness and image of God which he created us to be. It is an infection in why we're called to the blessed life because we're way out of Eden. Sin is an infection before it's an infraction. And we therefore need mercy if we see our sin for what it's actually doing, not how it's hindered this like judgment relationship, but what it's doing to me and in what God is calling me to be and live as. This is what sin's doing. It's ruining this union and this beauty that I have with Christ. And so we continually pray for the drips of the oil of mercy to keep on keeping us healed. And so therefore, you now, brothers and sisters, have absolutely no reason to say, I don't know what to pray for someone. You have every single name in here. and can get it if you don't. And you pray that God has mercy on them every day. What would happen if we kept pleading with the Lord for mercy? God, come to us and bring your life. Come to us and heal the wickedness of our hearts We keep praying this. Have mercy on our church. Have mercy on our community. Have mercy on William. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought this quote was very beautiful. It was the way, I don't even remember who said it. I didn't write the name. That's weird. Oh, yeah, it was a theology book. It was their definition of mercy. That's what it was. Um, It says, This is how they summarize. When you pray, Lord, have mercy, you're praying all of this. Lord, soothe me. Comfort me. Take away my pain. Show me your steadfast love and your compassion. I totally forgot to put that in my message somewhere. Do you know how the Jews translated the Hebrew word hesed, steadfast love, when they translated that to Greek. The steadfast love, the covenantal love of God, hesed, was translated as elson, mercy. There's another picture. What mercy is, it's just the great love of God coming to heal our misery. So, brothers and sisters, um, pray for mercy every day. Every moment. Pray it for yourself, pray it for others. And the reason for this is that we become mercy as we receive mercy. The world needs mercy. The church needs mercy. I need mercy. We can become one of the greatest needs to our neighbors, to ourselves in a way, uh, to the world by allowing God's mercy to be a steady presence in our lives. Um. Very straight application-wise, we've already mentioned that you can pray for mercy for others when you don't have anything more specific to pray for them. It's always a good blanket prayer. Um, But on yourself, too, through 1,800 years or so, um, many Christians have prayed, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's a prayer that they repeat throughout the day. Uh, this dates all the way back to our desert guys like Macarius the Great. All the way back to them, they, they were just praying. Uh, Christians have always prayed lines of scripture, but here's one that they, they began to pray because it's in the gospels. The blind men, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. And the Canaanite woman, have mercy. This is constant plea for mercy so that so we can begin to take up the same prayer of the scriptures and say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. This is power to evoke the name of Christ in your heart all day long and to receive his mercy like that constant drip of oil. So I recommend you can do that. You can pray for mercy all day the moments of your life, so that as I'm filled with God's mercy, my prayer is that it just, I become merciful to people because I'm so saturated as a cloth which dabs up oil has no problem smearing it all around. That's what we can be. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy.